Welcome to 1951 Down Place, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Each month, our hosts, Casey, Derek and Scott, take a look at the film catalogue of the legendary Hammer Films production, one picture at a time. Covering everything from the famous Hammer gothic horror films to their science fiction films, their thrillers, their film noirs and comedies, this podcast will offer critical opinion, production notes and historical facts about the films that make Hammer great. Make yourself comfortable, have a cup of tea, and welcome to 1951 Down Place. As the lady said, this is 1951 Down Place, your home for Hammer Film discussion on the web. This is the monthly podcast where I, Derek M. Cook, am joined by Scott Morris and Casey Criswell to talk about a Hammer film, one of the movies from their classic catalog. And this month, we're talking about a film noir film. Yeah, Hammer does do some non-horror, actually did a lot of non-horror films, and this is one of them. It's the movie Bad Blonde from 1953. It's really cool but I don't want to spoil that. Rather, I'd like to talk a little bit about the title of the movie. Now, a lot of Hammer films had a different title overseas in the UK than the title that we know them here in the States. And I think it's better to listen to historian Richard M. Roberts talk about the differences between the titles that this film had when it was released in the UK and the US. This comes from the film noir box set released by Kit Parker Films and VCI Entertainment. Time to be the bad blonde who's got the wig on. <laughs> I wore the wig last week. Oh, there is a page on Facebook for bad blonde. Oh, it's just one of those inspired by Wikipedia pages. We're going to talk about the movie. I didn't bleach my pubes for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me you're recording. I'm recording, yes. <laughs> but I'm also editing. <laughs> <laughs> This stuff washes out, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. How can we start after that? Come on. Give me a second. Okay, that was the wrong recording. Um, why don't... Uh, let's see. I've got it. Uh, okay, here it is. One of the interesting things to me about these hammer noirs is the difference between the American titles on these pictures and the British titles on these pictures. This one is a perfect case in point. In Britain... It was released as The Flanagan Boy. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like something with Freddie Bartholomew and, you know, about growing up at Tom Brown's school days at Eton, you know, or who knows? The Brits maybe sound like the film about the childhood of Bud Flanagan, you know, Flanagan and Allen, you know, underneath the arches, I mean, a little of that kind of stuff. It's just lame. Not to the point. Too British. Forget it. Now. The American title says it all. Bad Blonde. Now you're talking. Great Pulp Fiction title, straight and to the point. You, you know, you, it, it shows the guys what they want, what they're going to pay to see, and you, you hope it delivers. I tend to agree. Bad Blonde, much better title. Although, culturally, the Flanagan boy might mean something different, either for the time or the place in which the film was produced. Either way, Bad Blonde is what we're going to call it in this episode of 1951 Down Place. Why don't we go ahead and dive into that right after this. <laughs> this is Sammy Terry, and you're listening to 1951 Downplays, the home for Hammer Film discussion on the web. I hope you have many pleasant nightmares. <laughs> 
destruction for her own insatiable delight. If you won't do it, I'll do it. This is the story of their forbidden moments of ecstasy and their terror of retribution for illicit love and deliberate murder. our fourth year here at 1951 down place i still get a little bit of a thrill every time we talk about one of hammer's non-horror films I mean, they've got all these comedies and you know dramas and action adventures and if you go back far enough you're gonna find some film noir films and that's what we're talking about this time around on the show 1953's well, we're going to call it Bad Blonde because that's how we do it here on the show. That's the U.S. title. It was also released as a Flanagan Boy over in the U.K. That's the movie this month on the podcast. I'm Derek. I've got Casey and Scott here on the line as well. How's it going, gentlemen? And which one of you dyed your hair for the show? Which hair are you referring to? <laughs> <laughs> Scott already claimed that one. I will say I am having more fun. <laughs> oh. going to be one of those episodes, folks. <laughs> I think so. Right off the bat, we're let, 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 less than two minutes in. <laughs> now, this was a fun time. I'm glad. You know, Scott's the one who typically puts together the schedule, which is ironic since I don't know as much about Hammer, uh, the company and film catalog as you guys do. It's a nice approach, though. I like it. You know, typically you pick them by title, don't you? I pick them by title. I also go out and look at different uh, people's top 10 Hammer films, top 50 <laughs> Hammer films or whatever, and look for ones that the title sounds interesting. And Bad Blonde just grabbed you? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, this one is a good one. This one is on the Film Noir box set that VCI put out a little bit ago, so it's pretty easy to get your hands on it. And I think more so than, like, say, Hill is a City or maybe even some of the other movies on that box set, this one truly feels like Hammer's attempt at a Hollywood film noir. And I liked it. And that's our review. <laughs> <laughs> Join us next month on 1951 Down Place. Oh, no, this was a fun ride, man. I mean, this was a, a really interesting movie starring Barbara Payton, who we've talked about here on the show in the past. She was in Four-Sided Triangle as well. This was the other film she did for Hammer. Hammer had this tendency to try to bring somebody over from Hollywood 
to put into their films, typically somebody who, to put it bluntly, was on the downside of their career because it came cheap. But their name is still recognizable. You can still put their name on the poster, and they still might be able to get some interest from the American audiences. So Barbara Payton's our American element here in the film. Uh, the rest of the film... I was going to say, at least they didn't bring over a German trying to be an Italian. Oh, wait a minute, they did. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about that, Scott? <laughs> Giuseppe. 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 Yes. No, it's Giuseppe. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we'll dive into the cast then. Frederick Valk playing Giuseppe, the boxing promoter. Uh, he's from Germany. Playing an Italian. <laughs> In a British film. <laughs> <laughs> it's a me, Giuseppe. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, I don't know much about this guy, but I do know that he did appear in 1945's Dead of Night, which is one of the first, if not the first, uh, anthology film, portmanteau-type film, uh, horror film, that is. It's a pretty decent film. It's from Ealing, and uh, I really like that one. But what nationality was he playing in that? <laughs> He's playing a character named Dr. Von Stratton. He was Middle Eastern. French. South African. I have no idea. Neither did he. <laughs> <laughs> I liked him, even though he's kind of a little over the top. I mean, he's our most cartoony character in the whole thing, right? Oh, it definitely. The, the reason I brought him up, in, in all honesty, is he was the hardest person for me to understand in this film. Even though he was talking the loudest? <laughs> yes. <laughs> there, there was sentences that this man would say in the film that I had... To this day, I have no idea what he said. <laughs> Do you want uh, some spaghetti? Because I am a G. You thought me. You're going to be one big happy family. And I love uh, the pasta. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the rest of the cast isn't nearly as flamboyant. <laughs> or stereotypic. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, let's talk about the Flanagan boy himself. Tony Wright plays Johnny Flanagan, a boxer. Superhero. And, yeah. <laughs> he does sound like a superhero. Yeah, he does. I mean. Anyway, uh, this, I believe, was his first film. Uh, he did some acting in, I think I read, South Africa. But this was his first film, and uh, I thought it was pretty decent, you know, for what he had to do. Spent yeah, a lot of bad. time, you know, kind of looking pensive. Yeah, I mean, he looked a little... I don't know. He always had that kind of like he had some stomach trouble going on look on his face. But other than that, he was pretty good. I mean, yeah, he did, he was believable in the boxing. I think he did well working off of Barbara Payton. He did break his ankle, though, when they first started filming the movie. Uh, he did have a, an issue in the ring and he busted his ankle. So it kind of held things up a little bit. But yeah, other than that, I thought he did just fine. Uh, passable for what he needed to do. Did we lose Scott? No, I'm here. I'm just. Oh, damn it. I was just pretending to be Johnny <laughs> Flanagan and I was staring off into space. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, your invitation works great on uh, radio there, Scott. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Looks just like him. He's a pretty small cast. I mean, really, in terms of manipulating most of the story, you only really have two other characters Sharky and Charlie, played by Sidney James and John Slater, respectively. Sharky is the person who discovered boxer Johnny Flanagan and Charlie's an old friend of Sharky, kind of a boxing trainer type. Sharky and Charlie have worked together in the past. The the guy that's playing Sharky, which is Sidney James, watching the film, I'm thinking, I've seen this man before, 
But then I look over his IMDb and I don't recognize anything. He's just, he, but he looks so familiar and I don't know why. Well, he was in all the, a number of carry on films in the seventies. Which I haven't seen. I don't know why he looks familiar. I, I really liked him. I thought he played a, um, a boxing trainer really well and also a uh, sideshow Barker Carney type. I, I liked him in that part as well. He was in Quatermass too. Okay, maybe that's where I'm thinking. He was in Enemy from Space, but I don't know what role. I thought he looked a little Rondo Hattonish. Maybe that's the vibe I was getting off of him. Because now that you say that, I can see that. I don't know if he suffered from acromegalia, but... Oh, wow, I said that on the first try. I don't know if he suffered from that, but yeah, he did, to me, look a little like that. So, Any comments on John Slater? No. <laughs> he looked a little bit like he could fit in a Three Stooges. He did, didn't he? <clears throat> Although he's the one that kind of puts things together, right? Oh, yeah. He's he's the former protege of Sharky, who then went off into the Merchant Marines and met uh, Johnny and taught Johnny how to fight as best he could, and then they went to find Sharky. So, wait a minute. I thought that was the other way around. Was it Sharky that was running the carnival? Yeah, Sharky was running the carnival. Okay, then I mixed mine up. Uh, whatever. That's our cast. It's going well. <laughs> yeah, this is going awesome. <laughs> Later on, we get to meet more of Giuseppe's family, which... <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. I liked them. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, except for her, except for uh, Giuseppe's brother-in-law, who was just taking up space in the film. But I did like his uh, sister and mother. It was pretty funny. But since we're talking about Pat on the cast, though... And since we're uh, this is going so well so far, <laughs> let's get to the uh, bad blonde in the room, Barbara Payton. Okay. Who, as Derek had said, we'd seen before in uh, Four-Sided Triangle. To, for me, on that role in Four-Sided Triangle, was not impressed at all. Right. Kind of a flat role for her. It was not very interesting, pretty dull, not a whole lot there. This time around, though, I would say that Barbara Payton was probably one of the highlights of this film, and not for the obvious reasons. I thought she was actually acting fairly well in this. Oh, I agree. I thought she was very, very good actress in this film. Some odd wardrobe choices, but other than that, I, I really liked her much better than Four-Sided Triangle, where she just seemed to be basically a prop in that film. I mean, yeah. she, she's the one that gets duplicated. This is her film. This movie, well, overall, I don't think it was a bad movie. It wasn't as exciting of a movie as I would typically think of for when I get into a hammer flick or anything like that. But when she was on screen and she was pulling her side of this story, that's when I got sucked into this movie. Those were the moments that I get sucked in and paying attention pretty close and whatnot. She did pretty well with the whole femme fatale thing. Mm -hmm. And very manipulative. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think it's her performance, her presence and her performance that really makes us feel like a, for lack of a better term, typical film noir. Because you've got that really strong femme fatale thing going on from her. She's just kind of oozing some sexuality. She's smoldering a little bit. She's twisting people around. She's manipulating the cast. I mean, all of them, really. Giuseppe and Flanagan specifically. But really, she's kind of controlling the entire world, you know, the entire world in the film. She's really good in this, and I agree with both of you. She's fantastic in this one. 
really, really good. So she's our American import. You know, I said earlier she's the only American import. Uh, that's not really quite true. The director also came from the States, Reginald LeBorg, who's a name that caught my attention as soon as I saw it come up on screen. And I was like, I, I know that name from before. He'd done a lot of work in the Universal Monster movies. He directed one of the Mummy films, uh, one of the Inner Sanctum films, at least one of the Inner Sanctum films with Lon Chaney. He directed The Black Sleep. Uh, which is a really interesting movie towards the end of Bela Lugosi's life. So yeah, Reginald LeBorg is this guy who's been on my DVD shelf for years. So it was nice to see him do a Hammer film, even though it wasn't a Hammer horror movie. Also, he was involved in a series of films in the late 40s, early 50s that also featured boxing and this is one of the things that I love about looking at older movies because we all know the standards, right? We all know the old classic horror movies because that's the kind of people that we are. But Hollywood put out a ton of different types of movies back in the day that we may not know about. They may not have been released on DVD or VHS. Maybe they showed up on TCM once at 1 a.m. But you start looking at somebody like Reginald DeBorg and you find there was a series of movies based on the Joe Palooka comic strip. Joe Palooka was a boxer, which... I know very little about myself, but I mean, there's like five, six, seven films about this boxer character. They're kind of like comedies. Reginald LeBorg did a number of these movies, and I can't help but wonder if maybe his experience directing boxing films, even if they're comedies, might have gotten him the gig doing Bad Blonde over at Hammer. Could be, even though there really isn't a whole lot of scenes of boxing in the film. No, there's really not. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the the one scene there's I remember one kind of standing out as running a little long. It's hard to say because boxing was a kind of a big part of this as far as the back end of the boxing. The scenes they showed were all fairly flat. Nothing yeah. too exciting. Anyway. <laughs> shall we talk about the story of the film unless there's anything else we want to cover here real quick? Well, we're missing my normal what I do here on this show. What I <laughs> what I bring to the show. <laughs> the reason I'm here. That was your good looks. <laughs> what about my James Bond connection? Is there a James Bond connection, Scott? The first assistant director. Oh, my God. Bad Blonde, <laughs> Harry Richardson, born January 13th, 1936. He was actually nominated for an Academy Award for Best Film Editing for Runaway Train, the 1985 John Voight, Eric Roberts, Rebecca De Mornay classic. Henry Richardson, he actually <laughs> lost that Oscar to Thom Noble for Witness. But besides Runaway Train, Henry Richardson was also one of the editors on 1983's Octopussy. My James Bond connection for Bad Blonde. Oh, man. I did it. <laughs> the first assistant director. Octopussy was my first James Bond movie. Well, you could now put that right there next to Bad Blonde. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We are thorough here on 1951 Down Place. Any uh, Disney connections, Scott? No, no Disney connections, at, or uh -huh. Doctor Who, or Harry Potter, so thing is we said that all British people were in one of those four films last month. <laughs> well, now that that's out of the way. <laughs> and I know everybody's been looking forward to that, so there you go. You didn't think I was going to be able to find one. <laughs> it's 
Scott has just earned his place on the podcast for another month. <laughs> Woohoo! Bring on Vampire Circus. <laughs> it's actually probably for the best because I don't want to do the plot synopsis. Do you, Casey? No. All right. I think we're good. It's been fun, folks. <laughs> See you next month. That's the second time we've ended the show. <laughs> False finish is what they, yeah, anyway. So we ready to, to get into the story of Bad Blonde. I was born ready to get into a Bad Blonde. <laughs> mm. I would say something pithy about I can't believe your, your dirty mind went directly to that, Derek, but I was, you beat me to the punch is all. <laughs> well, we start off on a Bad Blonde. I'm Bad Blonde. <laughs> now we start off in a carnival of all places. We meet uh, Sharky, but we don't know it's him. He's kind of a carnival barker trying to get people to come in to see a, a boxing match. And also, he's trying to recruit boxers to bite, to fight one of his three boxers for five pounds. If they... <laughs> to bite one of his boxers? Yes. Is that Mike Tyson in there? <laughs> did, he, did Sharky have his machine with him? Burt Reynolds is Sharky. He's a smart cop, but somebody's in his way. You're an outcast about to lose that badge of yours. What he hears, he can't use. Tell him there's no way that he can win. Do you understand? What he knows, he can't prove. Sure. The tapes are gone. And what he sees, he can't have. But nobody leans on Sharky's machine. Sharky's machine, rated R. Now play. Check newspaper for local listing. I don't know if he had his machine or oh. not. <laughs> I didn't see Burt Reynolds anywhere. <laughs> hey, you know, before we get too far into this, there's a couple things I probably should say real quick. Peter Cushing, Jody loves Chachi. All right. <laughs> Neither of which are in this film. <laughs> I want to see Scott Bayo in a Hammer film so bad. Oh, God, that'd be great. It could still happen. <laughs> Back to the blonde. <laughs> Woman in Black 3, the possession of, of uh, Joni. Joni. <laughs> Woman in Black 3, Joni really loves Chachi. <laughs> Get on this. Let's. We need a Kickstarter now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Scott Bayo works cheap, doesn't he? <laughs> He's perfect for Hammer. He's a has-been. He'll work cheap. He can come over. So, Scott Bayo, if you're listening, hit us up, right? Oh, uh, let's go back to the carnival. <laughs> I thought this was the carnival. <laughs> okay, the carnival. We've got, uh, we meet Shar Sharky. He's trying to get people to come in to view this boxing match and also to get people to come up and to earn five pounds by surviving three rounds with one of his boxers. And Sharky's trying to get somebody to come up to fight. No one's immediately coming to um, to volunteer. So Sharky makes eye contact with somebody in the crowd who takes a couple steps and is going to join. So I'm guessing he's some sort of ringer or something. But as he's making his way, somebody sticks out his foot and trips him. And up pops Mr. Flanagan himself, who uh, volunteers to fight. We later learn that the, the man that did the tripping was Charlie, who we'll meet later. So uh, Johnny Flanagan gets in the ring, and we've got a little bit of uh, boxing action, and he ends up surviving the, the three rounds. He's actually holding his own really well. So after the, the fight, Sharky is talking with uh, Johnny, and he tells Johnny that he hasn't seen moves like that since he trained somebody a long time ago, and at this point, Charlie walks in. Charlie Sullivan! Well, what do you do? How are you? I'm fine. Good for you. 
That explains a lot of things. I thought that boy couldn't just be an accident. That's right. I taught him all I know and some of the things I learned from you. <laughs> so making him a champion there, Sharky. That's why I wanted you to see it. That five pounds a look. <laughs> this calls for a drink. And uh, we find out that Sharky had trained Charlie as a boxer, and he was a boxer a while ago. Charlie retired and eventually joined the Merchant Marines where he met Johnny Flanagan. He taught, uh, Charlie taught Johnny to fight a little bit, telling him what he knew. And the two of them got together and had this plan to come and meet Sharky to try to get Sharky to help train Johnny and to get him a fight in the big leagues to actually make him a professional boxer. Sharky at first is kind of hesitant because he's been out of that gig for a while. He doesn't know too many promoters anymore. I think he's kind of happy with hustling a few bucks on the midway in the in the fight game there. But uh, Charlie tells him that I've already checked up and Giuseppe is in town who you used to work with. And I think we should go meet with him because I think he'll sponsor Johnny. So the three of them leave and they go and have a meeting with Giuseppe Vecchi. And this is the first time that we get to meet uh, Giuseppe. And as we said earlier, he's played by a German actor pretending to be Italian, which was kind of hard to understand. This is also where we get to meet his outrageously over-the-top stereotypical accent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's-a me, a Giuseppe! But you know, Sharky, he's a very nice you puppy to say hello. Has been a long time. <laughs> this is Johnny Flanagan. It's a pleasure, Johnny. Have some coffee, some food. You eat it? Okay. Grab yourself a cigar, Sharky. Grab yourself a chair, Johnny. Thanks. Oh, well, how's the food? How's it going, Sharky? Did you ever try to make any money out of one? What you got on your mind, Sharky? Johnny, you've got the makings of a champion, Giuseppe. You'll go all the way. I want you to see him work out when you come back from your holiday. When I come back from my holiday, I will need a rest. <laughs> but more importantly, this is where we also get to meet his wife, Lorna, played by Barbara Payton. So we start the scene off and we're in a hotel room because Giuseppe and his wife, Lorna, are on vacation. Sharky, Charlie, and Johnny are there talking with Giuseppe, trying to get him to learn about Johnny a little bit. Well, the door it must be a suite because the door back to the bedroom area is open and we get a, a shot from inside that room and we see Lorna pulling up her hose and we're looking back through her leg back towards Johnny who's watching all this dumbfounded oh uh, yeah I mean it's <laughs> it's it's a little bit of a, a, a graduate this shot is Robinson you're trying to seduce me <laughs> aren't you is it here where they're asking Flanagan about his background and how you must have seen all all of Europe? Well, not all of it. And he's looking at the legs. Yes. Yeah. Like that, yeah. <laughs> I liked how our first introduction to her, though, was just her bopping along, putting on the gloves and everything. <laughs> yeah, because she's a dancer. Yeah. So she, you or see she her, was. <laughs> she was a dancer, yes. Well, she notices that Johnny is staring at her, and her first reaction is to go and slam the bedroom door so he can't see her anymore. Well, as they uh, get back to talking to Giuseppe, they convince him to at least come and watch Johnny fight. So the next night back at the carnival, they uh, have a fight set up for Johnny. Uh, Giuseppe and Lorna show up to watch the fight. Uh, Johnny wins the fight uh, pretty easily. So after uh, the fight's over, uh, Lorna and Giuseppe come back to meet with uh, Johnny, Sharky, and Charlie. 
Giuseppe's all excited, saying that, yes, he will sponsor him. He will set up some fights. And also that they should all come out to his estate so we can be one to big, a happy family. <laughs> and he can do, and Johnny can continue his training out there at the estate. Johnny, of course, you know, one of the most, you know, fighters, he's, he's there on the table getting a rub down after the fight. It's time for him to take a shower. So he tells Giuseppe, you know, can your wife please leave so I can go take a shower? And Giuseppe says, well, I think it's time for us to, to leave. You guys come out to the estate. So they leave. And, of course, Charlie, Sharky, and Johnny celebrate that they've got backing and that they're going to go off to go training and get to be a professional fighter. So we head out to the the Vici or Vecchi estate. Beautiful I don't know where this is filmed at, but it's really a beautiful place. Giuseppe sets it up earlier that they like to be by themselves. There's no staff. There's nobody to help out. Really kind of further establishing that our characters are going to be by themselves. Kind of hiding that maybe there's some budgetary limitations here in terms of cast, but the amount of people in the cast. But I do like that they set it up that it's just them, kind of isolated. And it's a nice little place. You know, like you said, I it's a nice estate. I don't know where it was shot. I mean, we've got the the big house, and we've also got a really nice path that you see Johnny running on that's running around a giant lake that uh, we see Lorna swimming and Giuseppe's out on a boat floating around out there. Johnny, Charlie, and Sharky come up after doing some running around the lake. Johnny sees Lorna again, and he's um, gobsmacked again, wanting to you know stare at her. The way they, they exchange looks... Quite a bit through the film. And, and we know that they're going to connect. I mean, that's just what these movies do. But they spend a lot of time just kind of giving each other the stink face. Yeah. That's what surprised me a little bit because I knew, because I'd seen the trailer, and I kind of knew that, you know, the two of them were going to get together and bad things were going to happen. Bad blonde things. But the first three <laughs> or four times that they're on screen together... Lorna's basically acting like she wants nothing to do with Johnny. In fact, she's repulsed by him. Like she doesn't like boxers or something. I, I don't I couldn't quite figure out what her hatred was to towards Johnny, it seemed like. Well, doesn't Giuseppe say early on that his wife has kind of gotten him out of the business and they're not gonna get involved in that kind of world anymore and she wanted to kind of move away from that and here comes Johnny and Sharky and company dragging him back into this world that she didn't want anything to do with to begin with. I I must have missed that, but I, I could be <laughs> projecting quite a bit. So we we then have a scene where they're all together, you know, having dinner and we learn a little bit more of the backstory of how Giuseppe and Lorna met she they met in New York City where Lorna was a dancer and I'm guessing a dancer for hire from the impression that I was getting and basically Giuseppe must have paid the entire night of her dancing card her dance card and he ends up taking her away from all that I think Lorna basically saw him as a meal ticket to get out of the situation she was in they end up getting married and moved to wherever this is we see her several times playing music and, and dancing. I, I think she still has that dancing bug, but she realizes that, you know, she's got to put up with Giuseppe. Yeah, they didn't seem to have a lot of chemistry either. But No, not they, at all. No, knowing how they connected and all that, again, you can kind of read into what's going on here. Well, as the dinner is breaking up, different characters are leaving. Both Lorna and Johnny leave. They go out. I think Lorna goes out first to go out for a a walk outside and Johnny follows her and 
this is where we first get the an attraction between the two characters. As Lorna is basically telling Johnny how bad the marriage is and how Giuseppe doesn't treat her well, which I kind of had a hard time believing that Giuseppe didn't treat her well. But again, Lorna is also talking about how he's not good as a lover as well, but that's what was bothering her. She didn't get to dance anymore. I didn't have any problems believing that everything she was telling him about Giuseppe was all made up and BS just to manipulate the guy. Yeah. Just because that's that's her motive. That's what she does. That's what that character is. Because it was pretty clear. There was no mystery as to what was going to happen in this movie, in the plot line, and where this was going. So it just seems to me like it would fit in that she would tell spin all sorts of stories to get there. Well, they end up, you know, having a couple of more rendezvous late at night out in the barn. Johnny finally, I think Sharky and Charlie basically start to try to warn him away from Lorna. Sharky suspects that the, the two of them are actually an item now. It comes up to be Lorna's birthday and Sharky, excuse me, Giuseppe is planning this great big birthday party. And at the time... Johnny's not wanting to have anything to do with Lorna. He's just going out doing the training and spending all his time working on his craft instead of spending any time with her. Every time she shows up in the room, he's leaving. So Giuseppe basically goes to him and says it would be a big favor to me if you would come to Lorna's birthday party. Everything fine now? Comfortable? Food good? Sleep all right, huh? Fine. Good. I try to make that you are happy, Johnny. Now how about making Jeepy happy too? Anything you say, Giuseppe. It's Alona's birthday today. I give a little party. You and Shaki come and have a good time, no? I'm in training. Johnny. How often birthday comes? Once a year. Me? I don't dance. I got two left feet. I'm no good at parties. Johnny, there are two things I love. Is Alana and my mama in Italy. Now you come into my life, I begin to love you too. What you say? You come to party? Make me happy, no? Okay, but don't expect too much. You said goodbye. <laughs> Arrange a party. Nobody has nothing to do but have a good time. <laughs> so I'm I'm seeing this scene and I'm thinking that Lorna off camera is also manipulating Giuseppe to try to get him to get Johnny to come to this party. I mean, we never see that, but that's would fit in her character for me. That makes sense. So we had the night of this party where they go to, you know, at first I thought the party was at the estate, but then it turns out that it was really at a restaurant because we've got waiters that are bringing champagne and Giuseppe's flying high at this point. He's had quite a bit in the way of, of drinks. He even goes out and dances one time with Lorna and it's a very awkward dance. He's not a very good dancer. So he, he ends up going back to the table and asking Johnny to go. <laughs> I and, have a two left to feed. <laughs> <laughs> asking Johnny to dance with his wife. So the two of them, they go out and hit the dance floor. And they're, they're dancing cheek to cheek really close. And the fact that they're at the end, they have to. Sharky ends up having to carry Giuseppe back to the estate, back up and put him in bed. Well, at the dance, this is they they have an exchange on the dance floor where they, they decide to call a truce to this weird sexually charged animosity they have toward each other. 
figured we'd give Giuseppe a break tonight, try declaring a truce. What about tomorrow? Tomorrow can wait. And they, they actually kiss on the floor, don't they? Or they get real darn close. They get real. I, I can't remember if they do or not, because, uh, you know, Giuseppe is still sitting there at the table not too far away. So I don't remember if they actually kiss or not. But they do have this truce. Real darn close to kissing. Very cheek to cheek. Yeah, Giuseppe's drunk. Yeah. <laughs> That'll all change here in a second, because they get back to the estate. Sharky takes Giuseppe to put him to bed. And, you know, it's probably midnight or whatever, and Lorna looks at Johnny and says, you know, it's too hot to sleep. Which I think is a required line for most of this type of movie at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, I'm going to go out for a swim. So they end up going out and going for a midnight swim, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then we find out that Giuseppe has finally set up the first match for Johnny. I can't remember the the guy he's going to fight with, but it was a Russian name because I remember thinking to myself, I must break you. (laughs) (laughs) Just because it was a Russian fighter, I go to Rocky Four. So they get, uh, they get ready for this fight and Johnny basically is, you know, is working out and, and they go to wherever this fight's going to be. Lorna decides that she's not going to go. Plus Johnny doesn't want her there anyway. So he's at his hotel room and gets a phone call. Hello, Johnny Flanagan. What do you want? So good to hear your voice, Johnny. I just had to call you. Didn't you say anything about me? You said you weren't feeling so good and might not be able to make the fight. Where are you? Do you feel better? I've been to a doctor. Lola, what's wrong with you? I'm glad it happened. Glad. It'll keep us together. What? What will? Johnny, don't you understand? I'm going to have a baby. Johnny, you must help me. Does Giuseppe know? I can't talk now. I must go. Lorna. Lorna! And Johnny just... He he goes a little crazy at this point. He doesn't know what to do. What? I thought he played really... This is my favorite scene with Tony Wright because he really came across as somebody that was so confused and his whole future, what he had seen for himself is now falling apart. And I thought he played that really well. Yeah, I thought he played it pretty well too in the, fa- in the idea the character was, you know, starting to cotton on to the idea of what she was doing and realizing that he was trapped. Yep. So he goes, still goes to the fight. The fight, the fight starts. Giuseppe's there cheering him on. Uh, you've got uh, Charlie and Sharky in his corner. And the first round, Johnny is just beating the pulp out of this other guy. It's not even close fight, the first, the first round. The bell rings. Johnny goes back to his corner, and he notices that Lorna has shown up, and she's sitting right next to Giuseppe. And that just throws him off his entire game, and then he gets the snot kicked out of him the second round and loses the fight. So we go back to the estate, and we have a scene where Lorna... And Johnny are out, out by the Are you lake. Holding it? No. We gotta play it smart, Johnny. It'd be best for both of us. I've messed up everything. 
we'll work something out. I'm a fighter. That's all I was born for. For these. I'll never fight again when Giuseppe finds out. I'll be finished. He'll see to that. Poor Giuseppe. Poor fat guy. Got himself trapped with a fine dame, didn't he? Forget Giuseppe. I can't. He'll go through hell when he finds out. It'll kill him. If that happens, there's no problem anymore. You're wasting your time with that sort of talk. He's a rich man, John. And I'm his wife. What are you getting at? Something could happen. You could make it happen. It's an idea, John. You must be mad. Lorna has gone so far as that she's already gotten poison. Pulls it out of her dress pocket and gives him, you know, a little thing of just says poison on it. I don't know exactly what it was. Johnny, at first, he's still not wanting to do anything about it. He's like, no, no, no. And Lorna says, well, then I'll do it. Give me the poison back. And Johnny won't give her the poison back. I can't really blame him. Would would you really, if you're involved with this woman and now everything she's presented, would you really want her to have her hands on that poison? No. (laughs) (laughs) So Charlie and Sharky and Johnny get back together. And Sharky, somehow he's got another fight tour for them to go to in Scotland. So it's it's time, you know, they're going to leave Giuseppe and, and go off to Scotland and do this fight tour. And they were all kind of happy about it. Johnny was getting relieved because he was going to get out of this weird relationship that he's got with the, the Vichys. Then Giuseppe comes bounding down the stairs like he's won the lottery. Johnny! He's a party! He's a party! Giuseppe is a bambino! Oh, what I say! I'm a papa. What? Yeah, just think of that. A papa, son of padre. Lana just tell me. Giuseppe, she tell me. Look like you've got a bambino. He's a wonderful, eh? He's a marvelous, eh? Meraviglias! Come, my bambino. Giuseppe's bambino. Bambino. He goes to the, as far as calling his family in Italy on the phone to let them know that you know, there's going to be, he's going to have a, a son. You know, not going to be a girl. It's going to be a son because he starts talking about that already. Now, one thing, I was watching this film with Tracy, and I don't know if you guys noticed. I didn't notice it, but Tracy just, she thought this was one of the coolest scenes in the movie. When he's talking to her, his family on the phone, there is a set of antlers or horns on the wall behind him. Uh, yeah, I did notice that. Do you know what that means? for Italians. Hmm. It's an offensive gesture for Italian men that if you're seen with the sign of the horns, that your wife is cheating on you. I didn't get that part of it. I just like the way they superimposed the horns over his head. But that's got to be why they did it. Yeah. Wow. The sign implies, and I'm going to probably mess this word up, but cockholdery? Say that again, but slower. (laughs) 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 So, you know, basically that that your wife is cheating on you. Hmm. That's awesome. I mean, not awesome that somebody's wife is cheating on him, but that's... that's That they did this in the movie. Yeah. And and Tracy recognized it right away. I mean, but Tracy's also a lot smarter than I am. She's not Italian, is she? No, she's not Italian. 
And there go all of our downloads in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> but I was curious if either of you guys had known about that or had heard about that. Lorna and Johnny, you know, Johnny's like, why are, why are you telling Giuseppe that uh, you're pregnant? Lorna basically tells Johnny that I did it to keep you here because I didn't want you to go off to Scotland. And it was kind of my last-ditch effort, Hail Mary pass type thing to keep you here. Which, I that kind of confused me for a second. I mean, why would that keep him here? I would think that would drive him away. Yeah. But that was her reason. And at this point, I think Johnny realizes she's right. We, we've got to get rid of Giuseppe because I need to have this life. I need to support this baby. It's my baby. So he's resolved to the fact that he's going to have to take care of Giuseppe. So they hatch this plan for the next time that he goes out. Because every mo- you know, we see Giuseppe several times fishing out in that pond. He goes out in the rowboat. So he's he makes this plan that one morning they're all going to be having breakfast and Johnny's going to excuse himself saying he's going to go out for a ride. And he's going to go out and get on a bicycle and ride away. Well, he goes out and rides partway around the, the lake, ditches the bike in some bushes and goes into the boathouse strips down and sneaks his way into the water swimming back around to the rowboat and then he climbs into the rowboat and hides himself under a tarp uh, near the bow of the ship the, the rowboat and he waits for giuseppe to come out to go fishing so giuseppe comes out a little bit later gets in the boat goes out to the middle of the lake to start fishing johnny comes out from under the tarp grabs Giuseppe, and the two of them go overboard as Giuseppe's saying, you know I can't swim, and they go into the water, and Johnny holds him under the water until he dies. Johnny then swims back to the boathouse in a hurry, gets dressed as quick as he can, and takes off on the bike. Comes back, he sees Charlie and Sharky, Lana, all yelling out to the water to try to find Giuseppe. (laughs) Giuseppe! We have the, the inspector show up, questioning everybody. I don't think he quite believes Johnny's story that he went for a bike ride, got tired, and went for a nap in the grass. Oh, I don't think he believed it at all. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny, though, because he says, well, where were you? And he's like, I took a bike ride, and I got tired, so I took a nap. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, after the after the policeman leaves, you know, Sharky he's also got his doubts about what's going on, and he goes out and finds Johnny's watch still in the boathouse. So when Johnny came back to get dressed real quick, he forgot to put his watch back on. So Sharky's putting two and two together and figuring out what happened. So how much do we? How much farther do we want to go in how how this ends? Well, I thought the ending was actually it kind of shocked me. I didn't expect it to end the way that it did for everybody man i I don't know if we should really say but because i i was surprised at at the ending as well yeah it kind of and i like i liked the ending oh yeah it was really good what do you think casey should we how far do you want to go i mean it's been 62 years so i think we're safe on the spoilers well i'll say this right now we'll go on and talk about the rest of the movie but if what we've said so far even slightly interests you into watching this film Stop the recording and go watch it because I don't want to spoil the ending for you and then come back yeah. and listen to the rest of it. 
it does it does have a really kind of a, an interesting ending that I wasn't expecting. This isn't typically how I think film noirs end, at least my limited experience with film noir. So shall we yeah, shall we insert some like intermission type music right here for me? <laughs> we'll just call this our general spoiler though, and like Scott said, hit pause, go watch the movie, come back if you're that interested. Yum yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. So at this point, Johnny is basically a shell of his former self. He's realized what he's done, that he's killed Giuseppe. He he feels horrible about it. He's also decided that he's not in love with Lorna anymore. He just doesn't want to have anything to do with anybody. He kind of locks himself in one of the bedrooms upstairs. He won't speak to Lorna. He won't speak to anybody. Well... It's a dark and stormy night, <laughs> literally. <laughs> he won't speak to Lorna. Lorna decides that she's going to make him some soup. But you also see, after they scuffle a little bit, that she finds the poison again and takes a couple of the pills. Doesn't take a genius to realize what's in the soup. Yeah. Now, she's not going to give him the soup directly. She gives it to Sharky, saying, He did nothing all day. I've made him some soup. Get him to eat it. He'll take it from you. I'm going out. So Sharky takes the soup upstairs. Johnny lets him in the room, says that he'll eat it later. Sharky says, I'll be back later. I want to make sure that bowl better be empty. So a little time has passed. Sharky and Charlie are downstairs in the mansion. They both, I think, fell asleep for a while. Sharky wakes up and asks Charlie if he's checked on Johnny. Charlie says, yeah, I knocked on the door. He didn't answer. I figured he was sleeping. Sharky realizes that something's wrong. He's like, he shouldn't be sleeping this long or something. I don't know. But he bolts for upstairs. They go in there and they find Johnny dead because he's eaten the soup. Sharky also finds the poison in the room from earlier when Lorna and Johnny were scuffling. So he takes the poison and goes and hides it in Lorna's room. And then he calls the inspector. About this time, Lorna returns back from her drive and Sharky looks at her and says, Johnny's dead. And she's, you know, feigning that she doesn't know what's going on. And Sharky's like, I know what's going on. I found the poison. The inspector's on his way. And when he finds the poison in your room, you're going to have a lot of explaining to do. So Lorna panics, runs up to her room, and starts to ransack it. And I'm thinking to myself while she's ransacking it, you know, this is even going to throw up more flags for the inspector when he shows up. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, why is your room ransacked? But she's looking everywhere trying to find the bottle of poison, even to the point where, you know, she picks up a pair of high heels that she had that were hooked together, throws them against the wall or something, and they fall down, and the poison was in the shoes. But she still doesn't see it. 
the inspector comes in. Sharky takes him upstairs to see Johnny and then into Lorna's room. Lorna is still you know, kind of frantic. They all kind of see the pills laying there on the floor at the same time. The inspector gets them first. <laughs> I love that the inspector didn't find the poison. <laughs> Sharky did, right? Yeah. And, he, and he tugs on the inspector's sleeve and points at him like, hey, look at that. Yes. You know? <laughs> so Lorna sees it at the same time when when Sharky does the point, but the inspector gets to it first and uh, arrests Lorna. We then go back to the carnival. We see Sharky and Charlie back to their, uh, Sharky's back to his Barker ways of you know trying to get people to box his boxers. And at the very end, we see a kid deciding to volunteer who looks a lot like Johnny. Sharky and Charlie give a look to each other, kind of shrug shoulders, and go in to, to fight. And uh, the credits roll. This is a satisfying little movie. I really dug it. Yeah, I mean, I liked it too. I, parts of it were a little slow for me, but overall, I liked it. As a noir flick, it was different because it's not all rainy and dark and you know, smoking private eyes, stuff like that. So that was kind of a nice twist on the formula, at least yeah. from my experience with noir flicks. Now, I haven't seen a ton of noir movies. What I've seen, I, I genuinely dig. But yeah, I mean, this one really kind of hit all the notes that I'm familiar with, with my film noir background and viewing history, except for the end, which seemed to be a twist for me. Typically, the woman gets away with it. And the man who was manipulated by the woman is arrested or because he's kind of put himself in this terrible situation. He's the one responsible for what happens to himself. And, you know, in this one, it kind of twists a little bit because Barbara Payton is a killer. And that I thought really was <laughs> refreshing. I liked it. Oh, I did, too. And once you see the whole movie, you just realize how much of a schemer Lorna is because she was never never pregnant. And the way that she worked over Johnny, he got a worse or work over than any time he was ever in the ring in this film from Lorna. Yeah, I mean, that character was great because she was a great little villain for this flick because she, like you said, she was multifaceted. She had different angles she was working and she was kind of playing him like a fiddle. Well, one of the things that, you know, Tracy and I were talking about the film afterwards, and I said, you know, if she would have succeeded having Johnny off Giuseppe and then the two of them ran off together with Giuseppe's money in six months she'd have been looking for somebody else yeah oh yeah now one thing we didn't talk too much about when I was doing the plot summary was when Giuseppe's family showed up I kind of skipped over that (laughs) (laughs) because Giuseppe did call to tell them in Italy that you know I'm going to be a father so Giuseppe's mother sister and brother-in-law show up on the train but they get there after Giuseppe has died. Sharky goes to meet them at the train station. And, of course, their first question is, how come the girl couldn't come and pick us up? Sharky takes him back to the mansion. And, of course, they see Lorna and she's not dressed in black. Yeah, it's clear. I mean, even when she walked out, it's like, oh, this is going to be a problem. Yeah. Well, she was in all white. Yeah. The character of his sister and his mother were just, you know, it was Selma Van Dias, Dias was his sister. She was great because both she and her mother and Giuseppe's mother, uh, Enzo Caccia, Caccia? Uh, the mother was, uh, Marie Burke was the actress who played the mother. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. you're right. 
I mean, she knew what was going on. She saw through the whole thing within 30 seconds of being in, in the estate. She knew that Lorna and Johnny were an item and called him out on it. You know, if we continue the show long enough, we're going to get to see her a couple more times because she did a couple other Hammer films. Uh, she's in The Man Who Could Cheat Death, Terror of the Tongs, The Snorkel. So she'd done some other work for Hammer down the line. I don't know what her background is in terms of heritage because I, I really believe she was like this old Italian mother. Marie Burke was born in London, England. Yeah, she really affected this, you know, this Italian mom who really really probably didn't like the wife even when her son was alive i liked her a lot she was good yeah she saw right through through lorna and she probably i'm guessing before they got married if she even had a time to talk to giuseppe before they got married probably tried to talk him out of it yeah and the sister was good too you know you, you mentioned selma she was pretty good too she worked with hitchcock and the lady vanishes she had a long career as well she and the mother really kind of overshadowed the brother-in-law quite a bit but I kind of get the impression that if Giuseppe had stayed at home, that he would be overshadowed by his mother and sister as well, <laughs> as opposed to the over-the-top Italian stereotype that Valk was playing as Giuseppe. I thought the mother <laughs> and sister were just genuine and awesome. I totally agree with you there. Yeah. And like I said, the, the biggest problem that I had with the film overall was Giuseppe, because there was some times that I, I really had a hard time understanding what he was saying. And I don't know if that was a function of neither English or Italian was his probably his first language. I don't know if that was the problem I was having or what. But I like that they, uh, for some reason with Giuseppe, those guys all sat around that room with a picture of Giuseppe in the frame. Now, I can understand why they did that after he died. It's like a memorial thing, but they did that before he died, too. Yeah. And he's very happy in that photo. He just Yes, he is. Because he's a member of a big happy family. <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's a good movie i really enjoyed it i'm glad we dove into a noir proper and it was as enjoyable as it ended up being this was a first time watch for me i'm assuming for you two as well and uh well this it was really good this movie is one of the reasons why i'm glad that you guys asked me to join this podcast because if it hadn't been for 1951 Downplace, I probably would have, A, never even heard of this film, or B, if yeah. I'd heard of it, I probably wouldn't have given it the time of day. And I am so glad that I watched it, because I really liked it. Yeah, it's good. The critics didn't like it too much. Uh, in fact, in the uh, Hammer Films and Exhaustive Filmography, Tom Johnson and Deborah Del Vecchio quote some critics' comments on the film, some reviews of the film, and... The word lurid comes up quite a bit, which kind of makes this movie the first time the critics really started associating over-the-top sex with Hammer. I mean, before the Dracula films, before the cleavage, this one really kind of struck a nerve with folks. I can see why. Barbara Payton was really ramping it up here. And, you know, you considering this came out in 53, she it seems like she'd be pretty out there for the norm, the social norms of the time. Yeah. Because, like, you know, the whole scene with her in the dressing room with, you know, the legs out and everything, that's a lot of skin for that time. Yeah. And she's using her sex against her husband. It's pretty risque for, yeah. for the time, for the place. Well, I've read a few reviews of it as well. And the one theme that kept repeating itself when I read the review, especially the ones that didn't like the film, was that this was a blatant ripoff of The Postman Always Rings Twice from 1946, which is Lana Turner 
basically in the same type of role where she's a married woman and she falls in love with a drifter then plot to kill the husband i don't know if i'd say as far go as far as saying it's a ripoff i mean i think that's a theme that's one of the tropes of a lot of film noir oh yeah i i agree i don't see it that way either but a lot of people do i suppose maybe back then they could have seen it depending on where film was in terms of what film wars had come out and where the genre was kind of going maybe it seemed a little copycatish because maybe it wasn't really that i don't know i don't see that i don't have that problem now i do like that barbara payton spends some time in a white swimsuit in this movie because i have a thing for that (laughs) (laughs) i wonder why Uh, yeah (laughs) insert music from creature from the black lagoon right here uh (laughs) I don't know. I just it's it's a good film. I really recommend would highly recommend it. Yeah, I would second that. I would highly recommend the film. I hope that you will if if you're to this point in the podcast, I hope you'd already seen it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch it again. I mean, this is one that I will rewatch at some point. They uh as somebody who's not from that familiar with noir flicks, then has not seen very many at all. I think this is a pretty good introduction to it to show that it's not all the typical gray and rainy private detective stories that you expect they're going to be. See, you say that now, and Scott said that too for Hell is a City. I've never associated the private detective with film noir. I just, and I know it's part of the sub-genre, I mean, it's part of it, but for me, film noir is always things like, you know, double indemnity or something like that, which, by the way, is fantastic. I've never associated that kind of gumshoe detective type with that, but again, I'm no expert either, so... Easy to get your hands on, like I said at the top of this. It's in a box set, and that box set's also been broken up and released as individual double feature discs, although I don't know why you'd do that if you said it as a box set. Pretty light on special features, but, you know, it looks good, it sounds good, pretty inexpensive. I think it's one people should track down. I'm glad I watched it. I, I agree. I think it's one that should be tracked down, and if you have seen it or if you do track it down uh, because of our recommendation, we'd love to hear about that. How do they do that, Scott? they can uh, send us an email at podcast at 1951downplace.com or they can call our google voice number 765-203-1951 which is a three minute hard limit so remember that when you start talking that you will be cut off at three minutes but you could always if you want to talk longer record an mp3 and send it to our email address you can also find us at downplace.com. That's our homepage. Or you can search for 1951 Downplace in Facebook to find uh, the Facebook uh, group. And, and there's lots of discussions going on there. Now, we've got some emails and some voicemails that have come in that we've never really done anything with. In the future, I'm sure we'll either address them here on the show or address it on Facebook. If you've called in or whatever and you haven't heard your voicemail, that's why. We do need to do that. Plus, Scott's got the interviews that he took at the October Monster Bash. It was Hammer Lady themed, uh, which you know, eventually hit the feed as well. So stay tuned. So what do we have coming up in the future for 1951 Down Place? What's next month? KC. KC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it me? <laughs> that would be Vampire Circus. And why for my birthday it... pick. That's right. Yep. Caught me off guard there. I almost forgot it was my birthday. Yeah, the, the youngster of the group here. 
I like being the youngster uh-huh. for a change. <laughs> Vampire it happen often these days. Yeah. Vampire Circus is pretty cool. I'm looking forward to it. I, I really, you know, I always worry when Casey and I are like, oh, we love this movie because Scott doesn't always love those ones. <laughs> yeah. And I always hate letting him down. It's got Thorley Walters in it. That's true. Well, I've I've not seen it, so this will be a first for me. It's got some goopy stuff in it, and the fangs are ridiculous. But overall, I like that movie a lot. So good pick, Casey. Yeah, it was one of my earlier, my first introductions into Hammer Flicks, and it's uh, I love it because it's weird. So <laughs> I mean, even compared to other uh, Hammer's other gothic stuff, it's different and it's out there a bit. So it's it's Hammer doing gothic, but it's 1972, so it's a little. Well, yeah, weird, I think is a good way to put it. So that'll be fun. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Then after that, for March, we have the Pirates of Blood River from 1962. Arg, We do a pirate flick. That's terrible. Arg. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's directed by John Gilling, who I really like. So that'll be cool. Uh, April, we have Die, Die, My Darling from 1965. I'm excited for that one. Yeah? Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. It's got uh, Stephanie Powers, if I'm not mistaken, right? I uh, I don't remember. I've not seen it, so. Again, I set the schedule up, and I haven't seen these films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got Tallulah Bankhead, Stephanie Powers in it. Uh, nice. Donald Sutherland. What? Yeah, it's got Donald Sutherland. Wow. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. That's going to be awesome. And then uh, May, we're going back to Frankenstein with Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed from 1969. Yes, that makes me happy. (laughs) And then, of course, the next one will make you very happy in June, Curse of the Mummy's Tomb from 1964. (laughs) I know how much you love your mummy. I love my mummy! (laughs) (laughs) And then that brings us to July for the Listener Pick Month. Yeah, so those of you who follow us on Facebook or at least part of the Facebook group know that earlier this month I posted the 2014 Listener Pick Month poll. Brief thing about the rules here. Facebook may let you place more than one vote, but for our sake, we're asking you only one vote per person. Now, I threw some titles up on the list already, but you can add your own as well. So if there's a movie that we haven't mentioned yet on that poll list, I'll go ahead and add it and see what people think. The deadline on this, we decided, or at least I decided, I think, was May 15th, so we'd have time to prep for it. Is that fair? Or should we push it back? It's my anniversary, so it'll be easier for me to remember it. Done. <laughs> <laughs> As of this recording, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave is in our number one spot, followed closely by The Vengeance of She. Actually, technically, Vengeance of She is winning. No. Yes, because Dracula Has Risen from the Grave is our October film. (gasps) Ah, okay. So head over to our website, 1951downplace.com, and click on episode list. Now, it does not extend past April, so... It will by uh, the time this episode comes out. There we go. Sounds good. So we'll get that updated. Uh, Dracula will be covered, which means we might actually do The Vengeance of She... (laughs) Oh, no. Now, to the people that have already voted for Dracula's Risen from the Grave, you can take your vote off that one and vote for something else, (laughs) provided it's not Vengeance of She. (laughs) (laughs) Technically, right now, Vengeance of She is leading the... Nice. (laughs) So, 
for weeks, Scott's – well, not really weeks. Maybe about a week or so, Scott's been – are you going to put the poll up? Are you going to put the poll up? I'm going to do something when you put the poll up. What were you going to do? Hello, I'm Scott Morris, and will you be an angel for a helpless podcast host? Every year, innocent hosts are abused by the movies they are forced to watch, and they're crying out for help. Please visit tinyurl slash noshe2015 and join the 1951 Downplace listener community with a vote for a worthy Hammer film right now. For just one vote, you'll help the 1951 Downplace podcast avoid being beaten by films like Vengeance of She. Did you know that two out of every three Downplace hosts are wishing to avoid this film after being abused by the film She in episode number 10? Vote online now and you'll receive the gratitude of the 1951 Downplace staff and give them a chance to view quality entertainment. Thanks to you. Right now, there's a host who needs you. Your vote says, I'm here to help. I'm here to make sure that you don't have to watch The Vengeance of She. Please visit tinyurl.com slash noshe2015 today and learn how you can vote. Please vote right now. Again, tinyurl.com slash noshe2015. Is Scott going to put together like a little promo video supporting a movie? No. Wow. No. Because <laughs> I can do that for Vengeance of Chi really easy. <laughs> no, that's not <laughs> what I'm doing. You sure you don't want more Vengeance of Chi content every single episode leading up to what will inevitably be the Vengeance of Chi month in July since it's going to win? Are you going to be the only one on that podcast and have to do all the editing and the intro all by yourself? <laughs> <laughs> the listeners don't want that. They, obviously, they do because they're voting for Vengeance of Chi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. A yacht in the Mediterranean. A day for quiet pleasures. But for this girl, disaster calls. What happened? The girl went over to sight. George went in after her. Who is she? Where does she come from? The answers lie 2,000. You know what? I'm gonna as soon as we're done recording, I'm gonna go watch the Vengeance of She out of spite. <laughs> you have fun with that. <laughs> I hope you survive. <laughs> Actually, I probably won't. <laughs> I want it to be fresh for when we do it in July. Well, after July, <laughs> for August, we're gonna go on straight on till morning from 1972. September, we have a challenge for Robin Hood from 1967. October, the aforementioned Dracula has risen from the grave from 1968. November, which will be my birthday month, we're going to go with uh, Phantom Ship. Nice. Which I'm looking forward to seeing again. I had the opportunity to see that at the Monster Bash this previous uh, summer. Or, excuse me, pre- fall. Yeah, it was October, right? October Monster Bash, yes. And then we'll be back to December for Derek's birthday month, which we don't know what it'll be right yet. Oh, if we don't do a particular movie in July, you know what we're going to get. <laughs> Actually, I don't know what we're going to do yet. Well, I've got time. I suppose I ought to figure it out, though, so that we can let listeners not vote for it during the listener pick month, huh? 
By the time this recording goes out, I will have decided. Deal? Just let me know and I'll update the website. Any last words on Bad Blonde? It's not in anybody's top five, is it? We kind of skipped over that. No. Nah. It's a good one, though. I'd probably put it in my like top ten of movies I discovered doing the podcast. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And my, my number one favorite Hammer Barbara Payton film. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll agree with that one, too. Even though I miss making the jokes about four-sided triangle. We can still make the jokes. You think I'm going to let Vengeance of She go by the time we finally watch it? You, you know, earlier you asked me if I was going to make some promo for a film push. <laughs> now I'm going to. To redo Four-Sided Triangle. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, listeners, vote. Go vote for Four-Sided Triangle, and we will redo it if it wins. <laughs> oh, boy. Thank you to everybody for listening and bearing with us through the entire episode and putting up with Scott's shenanigans. <laughs> Scott is the one editing the show, and I think I did the intro, right? Yes, that is correct. I will have done the intro by the time this goes out. You can always find us at 1951 Downplace, like Scott said, but we also have our own podcasts, our our own home podcasts. Uh, Casey's got a couple now these days. Casey, where can people find you? You can find me every week at thebloodygoodhorror.com. Uh, on the Bloody Good Horror podcast, you can hear me uh, about twice a month on the Instamatic podcast there at the Bloody Good Horror feed as well. And recently, you can find me and my lovely wife, Colleen, at cinemafromage.com on the Cinema Fromage podcast, where we review direct-to-video horror movies, all B-movies, fun stuff. So is, is there a time, Casey, when you don't have a microphone in front of your face? Not often, no. <laughs> <laughs> What can I say? I like to hear myself talk. Fortunately, a lot of people, other t- a lot of other people seem to as well. So, <laughs> Scott can be found over at uh, that Mickey Mouse of a show. Yes, Disney Indiana, the Disney Indiana podcast at DisneyIndiana.com. It's a uh, bi-monthly or bi-weekly podcast that my wife and I put out, and we talk about whatever we want to talk about in the world of Disney, which includes Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, whatever we want to talk about. And speaking of your wife, I'm just going to let that hang for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right now, it's a plan to have her on my show, Monster Kid Radio, next month. MonsterKidRadio.net, where we celebrate the classics and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And if all goes according to Master Plan, February being Women in Horror Month, we're going to be talking about the women who have made the classic monster movies and genre films enjoyable. And I have a scheduled recording with Tracy from Disney, Indiana to talk about attack of the 50 foot woman. I've got a few other things lined up for February as well. I'm really excited for And I also recently launched the creature cast among a spinoff show, which is a monthly show devoted to nothing but creature from the black lagoon and its films. Check that out. If you can't get enough of my voice, we need a break from Casey's. That it? All right, then. We done? Put we done. In. We done here. I think so. Take it away, Neil Sadaka. <laughs> <laughs>